market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where two is company and three is, well, even better company. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, the doctor is in the house, Dr. Ivan Mahati. How are you, buddy? Good day, Captain. I'm good. I'm great. You're great. I'm very good. Good to hear. Good to hear. You know how good I am? Um, not I, sure. I'm 50% better than usual. You know why? Because okay. we have an extra special guest in the studio, our colleague, friend, and all-round good guy, Andrew Leggett. Good day, Andrew. Hi, Scott. Hi, Doc. It's good to finally be here, and hopefully I don't do too good of a job that I do you guys <laughs> out of it. No chance of that, mate. If you do, we'll edit it out because, frankly, uh, I, we're, we're, we're nothing if not ego-driven, so we'll keep doing that. Of course, Andrew works with us at The Motley Fool. He works on Share Advisor, a million-dollar portfolio with me, as well as a heap of other services that we have. Um, All-around good guy, as I said, and, and a different voice we thought we'd bring to the podcast because, well, I'd like to take credit, but I can't. It was actually a suggestion by one of our listeners to say, hey, can we hear from more of The Motley Fool team? We had Ed Vesley on Wow, ages ago now, Doc, I think it was. Um, and we thought we'd get another fool into the room, into literally an actual room, although it's not a, not the studio. We're using my home office, but we're in the virtual studio or the, the makeshift studio. And we thought, why not have a third voice in the room? We've got a lot to get through, by the way. So hopefully Andrew will do some heavy lifting and make us look good, Doc. Yeah, well, well as long as Andrew's making us look good, I'm okay. As opposed to being better than us and... Absolutely, that's Putting a problem. Out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem. It might have been an absolute massive mistake for us to invite Andrew along, Martin. Yeah, well, I'm sort of blame the members or the listeners. Exactly, it's their fault. Well, we yeah. can't really. So that's the problem. If they do that, they weren't listening to us. That's true. So it's their fault, but we can't actually say that. Yeah, it's not. So I'll edit this bit out later. It's just Andrew's fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we <laughs> got a lot to get through, guys. Um, we have got earnings out the wazoo. It is the middle of August. And this has been a really, really big week for earnings. We've had Qantas, we've had travel stocks, consumer stocks, tech stocks, even milk stocks. Uh, we, we're going to talk about Treasury Wine Estate's Chinese hangover. Oh, I guess we'll have to talk about Apple again. <sighs> I really, I, this, if this wasn't in the contract, I wouldn't have to talk about it. You know that, don't you? But you just don't want to talk about the best company on the planet? No, I don't want to talk about Apple. It's a different, different thing. You don't want to talk about the best company? No, 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 Apple I'm talking about. Yeah, which is exactly what I'm trying to say. You don't want to talk about the best company on the planet. We will redeem ourselves by talking about the best company on the planet. That's Berkshire Hathaway. And if we have some time, we'll dip into the full mailbag. I don't know whether we'll have time. And if we don't, how about we have a special Sunday mailbag edition? What do you reckon? Special regular Sunday mailbag. Special regular, common, usual. Yeah. But still special. But it's still special. It's still special. Should we get into it? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right. Now, mate, it has been earnings central in the last, well, frankly, 20 days. August is always earnings season. Um, I was joking to one of our marketing folks. He talked about earnings season. I said, well, earnings season or August, as I like to call it. Uh, we like to give things labels, but effectively every August, our listeners will hopefully know by now, almost every company in the ASX has to report its earnings to the market. So we get a sense to a chance only really two chances a year for most companies to actually look properly under the bonnet and see what's really going on. This has been a um, this has been a fascinating earnings season, I have to say, and probably I'm going to say better than I thought. Now, so I'm going to ask you guys for your thoughts. Earnings season, as I said, August. I've said before on the podcast, Doc, and it's kind of you know, it almost. Hopefully, I'm saying enough to make it cliche because I want people to really understand this. While we talk about it being earnings season, it's really not. It's really expectation season, right? So whether a company puts in good or bad earnings, whether profits are up or down, doesn't matter as much as what the market actually expected when it comes to the share price. If the market expected terrible and the results are slightly less than terrible, the share price will actually go up. If the market expected spectacular and earnings were just really, really good, the share price may well go down. So it's very much a question of the expectations that move share prices rather than the earnings. 
This, you know, different again, I think. I, I'm going to go one step further and say this is almost outlook season. This is a time when the, even the expectations don't really matter because looking backwards, the, the, the economy has been such a mess over the last three or four months. Um, it's more question of like, you know, what the companies are saying about the last couple of weeks or even, you know, month or two in terms of where the business is going next that investors seem to be really, really hanging on to for grim life, really. I mean, there's, there is a sense that, you know, yeah, the past, the past, we all know it was going to be terrible, but how is everything going? How are companies recovering? That's kind of my, my high level take from earnings season. But let me let me dig a little bit deeper, Doc. For, for you, how has earnings season been? What what have you noticed? Not not by company necessarily, though feel free to talk about some of those, but how are you feeling about the earnings season? What is it saying about the companies on the ASX, the market, the economy? Any just general reflections as we're now about two thirds of the way through? Yeah, great question. You've already summarized, I think, the key point um, about expectations and how people are looking at uh, the share price. That people are also thinking about the future. And I think if there's guidance given, I mm. think the guidance is playing, or I'm, I'm guessing the guidance is playing a role mm. in how the shares are reacting post earnings. So um, a lot of focus on what, is hap- what has happened in the month of July, which is mm. Which is just gone by. Um, some companies are giving what you know what would I would call the color of uh, <laughs> <coughs> of July. Yes. Um, and if that color has been positive, then that helps. That's number one. I think there's some genuine um, <laughs> trend shifts that people are, I guess, accepting, mm. expecting. Hard to know. Um, if you think about things like. Um, E-commerce, for example, that has like various e-commerce companies' shares have been doing really well, yeah. um, and there's, I guess, expectation that they're going to continue to do well because maybe people's habits have changed for the better. Uh, maybe the market has actually finally expanded for them. <laughs> um, so there's that. I think that's happening. The the companies which have more global exposure in sort of the tech side, they seem to have managed okay, mm. although. You know, uh, I'll make one comment here. It's nothing is immune to economic disruptions. Even um, a technology company like, say, for example, Altium, uh, I'm just using a specific example here, but, you know, it has noticed um, slowdown yeah, in its yeah. sales and, um, you know, and it's expecting that mm. headwind to be there. So it's not, not everything is, I guess, Zoom-esque yeah. uh, in the sense that, you know, like there are certain tools. I, I think I look at there are certain things that people need Mm-hmm. For sure. So e-commerce and you know toilet paper yeah, yeah, yeah. from Kogan that is necessary versus. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not sure how many TVs Kogan's something that's super necessary, but people have needed some comfort at home, I suppose, haven't they? Yeah, but comfort at home, uh, you know, a lot of things that you you know you might have to, uh, go yeah. to the shops to buy. You're buying those at home, so that's helping them. Uh, there's things like Zoom, which you know companies mm. need to communicate. But then there are things like uh, you know um, PCB design software, which you yeah. might not expand the number of seats that you had before because just, just let me say PCB being printed circuit boards for <laughs> those <Sorry>. who aren't <laughs> uh, I had to think about that for myself actually yeah. for piece. oh that's right printed circuit boards <laughs> yeah, this is what Altium does right they, they, they yeah. sell software that lets people design I'm going to say computer chips for, for idiots yeah. like me who don't know technology that well um, but yeah, you're right. There's no immediate need or even uptick for that, right? Yeah. So there are some things where upsells are going to be hard. <laughs> uh, that, that's and then I guess uh, you know in the travel sector, I guess you know that's that remains a basket case mm-hmm. overall, just because travel has been severely disrupted. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about some of those numbers in a, in a second. Yeah. So that's sort of like high level things. I mean, you know, some things are trending as expected. Some yeah. are doing different. It, it, let's just I'll double down the SAS thing and then I'll ask Andrew for his thoughts. It does strike me that um, to some degree, you talk about some of those 
e-commerce or, or SaaS businesses, the broad IT businesses, the complexity of the sales process seems to be, to me, the determinant of whether businesses are continuing to grow or not. Yeah, logging on to Zoom, pretty straightforward. Using Kogan, super straightforward. Using Amazon, the same thing. If you've got to go and talk to someone and display the software and have those meetings, not, not only do you often do those in person or you had in the past, that makes it harder to make a sale, but also too, I guess some companies are saying, well, look, we're dealing with so much right now. We've got our own uncertainties. If you're making printed circuit boards and you're thinking about buying some software for Altium, the first thing you're probably going to do is say, well, how am I going to be affected by this by this virus? Is, is now really the right time to go and spend that money to try and grow business trying you know is this is this really the time and place or should i put it off and just wait till things settle a little bit and i think for my mind the, com- the combination of the complexity of the sales process and the lack of absolute need to do it right now you know <laughs> i'm probably laying staff off i'm probably i'm making them take a pay cut i'm probably not gonna be buying new enterprise software right now am i yeah so that's a, like you know there are many layers to this enterprise software um uh, field mm. so w- one of the things to think about is there is um there's software that you buy as is which is user facing yeah. right yeah. so you so the zooms of the world uh, no? e- even not like Zoom to the world. So Zoom is an app. To me, in my mind, Zoom is an application software that you disseminate for people to use. A Zoom is more like a zero, right? Okay. You yep. just straightforward use it. Right. Okay. It okay, is okay. an interface. Yeah. It, it is enables you to do some stuff. Um, right. But then there is software that needs integration, right? Yeah. Okay. Those are much harder because they require uh, enterprise-wide mm. integration. But then there's software that you actually don't buy directly, but you never see them um, directly in action. So these mm. are what, mm. what are called application programming interface-based software. Okay. These are software that enable other software. Okay. Right. Now, this I think this last category is interesting one because if you if you enable other software mm. and or other applications or other development tools, mm. then if those development activities are happening, um, you know, and they're typically sold on a usage basis, then mm. I think you would see that that trend probably continues because, right. um, okay. you know, the sales process for that is very different. The yeah. sales process is really developer driven. So as developer driven, there is absolutely necessary software, right. and then there is software. It's good to have, yeah. nice to have, uh, but probably not absolutely necessary. With so much else going on, exactly. Yeah, you're going so to make so the time and spend the make the effort. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah, it's, I think you know, there's a lot of nuance there. I think in that in the software sector, yeah, that, nice. you know, to think about. Andrew, your thoughts on earnings season so far, mate? There's obviously so much going on, and we don't need to get specifics. But again, like Doc, feel free to, to raise some. But I mean, you know, I, I I will say I this this earnings season is going better than I frankly had expected and hoped. Your thoughts? Yeah, so we've been through, all of us in this room have been through a number of reporting seasons now. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we've all had the conversations about sometimes the results and you go on, you've said, you know, about how it's really expectation set. You're about season. to say you go on about expectation season, <laughs> won't you? That's what you're about, you're well, about to say to me. You yeah. bang on about expectation season no, so bloody regularly, I'm not you, surprised anymore. Do, well, you do go through it regularly <laughs> and with good reason because it is actually true. So, what... I found interesting this year is that, you know, earnings season at the best of time is like mm. someone being in a darkened room and you're kind of feeling around and just hoping, <laughs> I like that. you know, that you've picked the right door and don't put your hand <laughs> on like a, a heater that's been on for 24 hours. So, you know, you hope that... It's a bit dark, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we, we've seen those we've seen those results where we have, we have. you look at it and it's like company grows at x percent and then <laughs> the share price falls to right, right. you're like what's going on there yeah, so yeah. this year's been even more interesting because <laughs> rather than just on top of that general level of volatility that you always get yeah. around earning season 
we've got this added wider issue of coronavirus and how mm-hmm. that's impacted the businesses. Right. So even though companies have been providing regular updates for the most part mm. throughout the last year, we also are in this situation where a lot of people really have no idea what they're going to get when the results are announced. Usually we mm. have a bit of an idea, but you know, companies issue guidance, but they've a lot of companies have re- removed their guidance. Right, right. And you know, we see it with like some of the some of the travel companies. Mm. We know it's going to be a bad year for them. And the question is, well, how bad is it? Mm. You know, is it terrible? <laughs> are things going to be relatively okay or yeah, better yeah. than expected? So yeah. more so than usual, we're in this world of just trying to work out <laughs> what does this mean is yeah. are these good results that we're seeing in some of these companies permanent are these bad results that we're seeing from some companies permanent or right, are they just totally. temporary and we can expect these to you know remove out next year so yeah, yeah. and that's going to be the other interesting thing too is that some of these companies that have actually done well what does this mean for the year ahead mm-hmm. because we've demand brought forward for some say retailers for example mm. they're going to have a really hard kind of comparable year next year yeah. when you know I, we I all reckon ho- yeah we all hope that yeah, coronavirus yeah. is in history and things are back to normal mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting so uh, i think that that's absolutely a key point i mean we will probably talk about as we get closer to next year but you're exactly right next february's numbers probably good growth because or maybe not even but you expect something happening kind of positively at the end of this year with a bit of luck Next August, though, I mean, Kogan up 100% in a given month. JB Hi-Fi's sales were fantastically strong in July. You kind of got to figure this time next year. I mean, even the best businesses that that had all these fantastic one-off hits because of COVID, no matter how good you are, you kind of can't jump from that base and go higher when this was a one-off spike. Exactly, and the the opposite is true as well for the companies Mm. that have, say, the travel companies that have announced, you know, they went from profitability into... Mm-hmm. loss making territory now all of a sudden let's say we're lucky and everyone's traveling back to normal by the end of june right, next right, right, year right. yep you know they're going to be announcing growth numbers in profits that are just well frankly meaningless yeah, yeah, yeah. because yep. of the comparable period you've so, almost got to compare the 2021 financial year to 2019 to get any sort of reasonable base right yeah i i think investors will have to i mean we don't we don't know how things are going mm-hmm. going to turn out and we don't know how long coronavirus is going to be impacting and how long it's going to take to get back right. to normal, but it is something to keep back in your head. Right, right, right. Not just for next fi- next financial year and mm-hmm. next reporting mm-hmm. season, but mm-hmm. also when you are looking at these results because there is that added element. Uh, are these moves that we're seeing temporary? Mm-hmm. Are they permanent? And mm-hmm. what, you know, how accurate are we seeing in these results for <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. how the business is actually performing? Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, that's earnings season. Let's get into the specifics now because it's been a big week for earnings. Um, Doc, let's start with travel. Uh, Qantas out this morning, a $2.7 billion loss between friends. Um, and i got to say, while some numbers were good and bad and up and down, whatever the results were for the full year, those numbers included probably six, eight, nine months of reasonably regular business and only three months of tough times. So a $2.7 million loss, that's a lot over a year if the whole year had been bad. 
Given there was only three or four months of bad news, I don't know if you want to necessarily multiply that by three or four times to get a real full year loss, but those numbers get big real fast. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, I, I mean, one of the key issues here might be that Qantas has, a lot of Qantas's profits have been driven driven by the domestic travel, right? I mean, yeah. and domestic travel basically completely shut down, yeah. as did international travel. <coughs> so, if I'm an optimist, though, that means that hopefully, as domestic travel recovers before international travel, that might come back. That might, yeah. that, am I too optimistic there? No, that might help. I mean, I, and this is also a business with a lot of, um, I guess, operating leverage, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've got a lot of huge amount of fixed cost, all these big planes, yeah. um, you know, maintenance. You need to still maintain those planes even if you're yeah. not flying them. Yeah, right. Um, so there's a lot of cost that's going in. There's no money coming out. So and you, you kind of want it to wind down too much because you want to be ready to kind of roll up again when things start to improve, right? Exactly. So I think it doesn't surprise me that they, you know, they had a big loss. Um, you know, they've been basically mm, running mm. an airline without flying the planes, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think, what I would say. At one point, we were joking in the office and literally joking, although at some point, someone like must have thought about it. When oil price was negative, um, we did joke, maybe they should be filling the planes up with oil and using them as portable storage tankers because that's probably more value doing that and getting paid for taking oil than, than actually trying to fly them as, as aircraft. But tough, tough numbers. How, how much worse does this get, mate, in your mind? What, do we have more trouble brewing? You know, I mean, the, the honest question is, can Qantas survive? Or if it does, what has to happen? I mean, there's, there are multi multiple universes from this point, right? In some universes, domestic travel kicks off again in September. Qantas is back to a reasonably decent health and, and goes up, almost upwards from there. In another world, this thing drags out till March. Qantas has to raise more capital, maybe even goes broke at some level if things really get much worse before they get better. Well, my, my view is right now because of the the current ongoing border wars we have inside the country, mm. um, I don't see how any of these borders are going to open up um, before there's a vaccine or mm. you know for whatever reason. So I think there's going to be really no very little domestic travel mm. until probably end of the year, maybe early next year. Um, what does it mean for Qantas? I guess you know they just have to. They'll probably do some dilutive capital raising. They'll probably right. fr- they'll pr- probably find some more debt. Um, I think it'll survive. I mean, it'll be a shame if Qantas doesn't survive, but um, I think it'll survive is what I think. Yeah, I don't see travel normalizing anytime before, like, you know, mid next year. Yeah. Um, Does it have to raise more capital, you reckon? What, what, what If you, uh, well, I, I mean, we don't, so we record this Thursday morning. We always should say that because, you know, it puts it in context with so much changing almost daily. Um, we don't yet know how Qantas shares are going to trade because we're recording this before the market opens. Does Qantas get attractive to buy at some point? I mean, does the, does the bargain hunter? I know you're not really a, a, a you know value guy, but at some point, if, if Qantas' future is brighter than maybe the current scenario and the shares fall too significantly, you know, if, if this is going to be the last man standing, does it make it worth buying? Well, the, the issue with these sort of things is that it's very simple, right? I mean, it, it, Qantas probably will have to do a equity raise mm. of some form or the other at some point, mm. right? Now, in anticipation of that, if the market is going to sell off the shares, then the equity raise is going to be even more diluted. Right, exactly, right? yeah. And, and and then the fact that it's got diluted mm-hmm. might result in further selling. So it's, it's a prediction, <laughs> trying to predict how much selling is going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, because now Qantas needs the to print those shares. Right, so right. I don't know. Like, I mean, if I was, if I could, you know, assign some certainty to at, mm, you know, at the mm. Qantas is going to raise some money at this price, mm. um, then yes. But, you know, one has to look at how much dilutive um, uh, capital raise is going to be. 
I'm going to rant slightly, then I'm going to ask Andrew for his thoughts, Doc. Uh, I saw a, a tweet, so again, we're doing this live, from Madeline Morris from the ABC, who has said, Qantas results are out amidst the numbers this. Total gross benefit of government support, $515 million, including $267 million in JobKeeper. Wow, she says. Um, I, <laughs> I'm going to rant slightly and very quickly. When the government makes you raid your own super but gives Qantas $515 million, something is drastically wrong with the government's fiscal policy settings and the way they're supporting the economy. They've done some wonderful things. I've been really, really um, fulsome in my praise. This is just... I, I, don't know how you give, I don't know how you give Qantas half a billion dollars and I assume some proportional number to Virgin and then make people raid their own super. I, I, it, is, it is astonishing to me. Um, I will just add a couple of things. I'll move on from that one. Um, to your point, Doc, the, the, she then tweets after this. I'm just following this Twitter feed. Now, Alan Joyce has just called for a national framework on borders to try to regulate and give certainty to people and goods moving, which is your point. Um, she says this is becoming a louder and louder cry from business now. They want certainty. We know that. And then lastly, interesting, just to, to finish this off, and I'm again from the same feed from Madeline Morris from the ABC. I'm at Mad Morris if you want to, I'm Mad underscore Morris, should say, if you want to follow Madeline. Um, Alan Joyce says intrastate routes, including Brisbane to Cairns, Perth to Broome, Sydney to Ballina, are now busier than they were pre-COVID. People want to travel, which I think is also fascinating. Again, not a surprise, but just an interesting data point. Andrew, your, your thoughts on earnings season? We'll talk about Qantas probably if you want to cover that. Maybe the other the other travel companies, uh, Corporate Travel delivered a result this week. I own shares for full disclosure, as did Webjet. I also own shares in that company. Your take on travel as we sit right here? Well, as we were kind of saying before, it, it's a weird time because how successful can a travel company be when no one is really traveling? <laughs> so That's a fair point. We knew the results for these companies were going to be bad and it's not surprising yeah. to see both corporate travel and Webjet announce losses, whereas they were both previously right. pretty profitable companies. Yep. So Hard to make money if you can't sell any tickets. It, it, exactly. You know, you, you need people to go on planes mm. if you are selling travel services. Yeah, right. So from that, you know, some of the – it's actually been – especially with the corporate travel result, the result didn't look as bad as it could have been. Yeah. Lost about eight million bucks, which I think you would have thought ordinarily would have been. And that was after abnormals. I don't know how much they they whacked in the abnormal column, but um, again, though the same as Qantas, that's only part of a year worth of of losses, right? This would have been much worse if it was twelve months. Yeah, exactly. I, the travel companies were probably lucky, you know, not so much for the rest of the world. It's not, and lucky is probably the wrong term, but you know that it it did start in November and didn't really get bad in Australia until say February, March. That's fair, yeah, yeah, and. Because otherwise, if it was a full year, mm. I think it would have been pretty, pretty ugly for these companies. And obviously, we saw mm. Webjet in the height of the coronavirus raise a lot of a big capital raising. Did. Yeah, pretty much double um, the number of shares on issue. Yeah, you know, it that was a capital raising to mm-hmm. ensure that it survived. Now, mm-hmm. it's still burning money because mm-hmm. the because of this the situation and. Now it's probably hoping that it's got that money to go on to mm. to to last it out. Yep. Obviously, the broader conversations about vaccines and all that I think are starting to get a little bit more positive. Mm. So there is that chance that you know we could be getting back to normal, you know, travel relatively soon, even if just mm. domestically. Mm. Just having that open would help these companies to no end. So from that, I've not seen anything that's been 
unexpected mm. from these companies. Mm. And I think when I look at results during earnings seasons, that's what I'm really looking out for. Yeah. Is there anything that kind of makes me scratch my head and go, what on <laughs> earth happened there? I knew it was going to be bad. They've produced results that are bad. Mm. And in that way, they're probably not as bad as I thought. So mm, that's mm, actually mm. good in a nice perplexing roundabout way. It's a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a strange old time we're living through. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to banks, uh, Doc. The 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 bank dividend story has been really fascinating. Um, we saw last week. I think we talked about this on Friday, last Friday's podcast. Combank paid out as much as it was possibly allowed to. Forty nine point nine five percent of earnings. When I said the maximum was fifty. We then saw Westpac say, "Nope, no dividends. We're going to be conservative this week and basically make sure we've got enough cash to see this through." ANZ then came out, I want to say it was Tuesday. Uh, the days are all kind of blurring together in earnings season. Um, yesterday was a phenomenal. There was so much going yesterday. Um, ANZ came out and pretty much kind of split the difference. They paid a, a little amount. It wasn't as much as they could have paid, nor was it as little as Westpac paid, i.e. zero. Um, very, very different responses. And i got to say, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, the banks aren't necessarily, I mean, <laughs> it's, not, it's not as hyper-competitive in the banking space in Australia, put it that way. And they do tend to kind of follow each other. When rates go up and down kind of in, in unison. I'm not assessing any collusion at all, by the way. It just seems to be the way it works. When one does it, the others tend to do the same. Qantas led with its chin by paying out as much as it could. And I actually expected at the time the other banks to do exactly the same thing. But they've taken unusually divergent paths. Your thoughts on, on how much the individual banks have paid, what you would have done, how you feel about the banks in the current scenario? Yeah, so um, again, I'm not a huge follower of the banks. But um, with, with respect to Combank, I'll say that they paid like this, uh, you know, close to fifty percent. Yes. Um, they had a they had a couple of sales, business sales that they made, so mm. that boosted the net profit, um, and, and that enabled them to pay some out. Mm. Westpac, on the other hand, has potential fines that it might have to pay. So it's budgeting for that. Mm. Um, so I mean, it seems like a prudent step, and I guess ANZ is taking. Uh, well, ANZ probably didn't have any business sales that it mm. could mm. leverage mm. off. So it seems like they're all doing the the right I guess the right prudent thing um, with the exception I guess I would, of, of maybe Combank Combank probably mm. made what I call a literal interpretation <laughs> of the rule versus being uh, the spiritual interpretation of the rule um, uh, you know it's not really a 50% of, of your ongoing but rather 50% of this time which is like a one-off <laughs> thing but mm-hmm. yeah the other banks I think are doing what I would think that they should be doing and so it doesn't hugely concern me I, I still think that the banks are right you know overpriced mm. for what they are they should mm. all be trading in the 10 p range uh 10 normalized p range i think we tend to bid up our bank prices here too much um there's no reason for that they're not growth businesses there's no reason for them to be <laughs> trading at 18 20 uh you know that they tend to so yeah that 10 12 seems like a reasonable yeah. price in my mind if it gets to like seven eight i might even think of buying some. How's that? Oh, I, I think no chance. I think you've said that. I think you might even think right now you believe that. If you buy a bank at eight times earnings, I will. I will seven, seven. Oh, uh, yeah, there we go. He's already, he's already. Yeah, 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 there we go. There we go. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? Are you, are you, uh, your thoughts on the bank dividends? Strong, appropriate, inappropriate? I, I mean, I, I got to say, on one level, there's, there's two. I have two trains of thought. The first is there is a corporately appropriate thing to do theoretically right if i if i'm giving theory on bank dividends and shareholders i'm I'm making i'm making one view on the other hand any company is the domain of its owners and if its owners as a group say we actually want as much cash as you could possibly give us 
the kind of the, the directors have a fiduciary duty to act on the shareholders' behalf. Right? I mean, at some level, it's fine. One thing for me to say they're paying out too much money. On the other hand, it's like, well, if that's what the shareholders want. It's their company. Who am I to say that the news agent can't pay out, you know, eighty five percent of his earnings, even if I think the news business is going to decline? It's kind of not my, not my, you know. There's a theoretical answer, and then there's just well, that's just the reality of who owns what, and they get to make the rules. Yeah, exactly. And I think you summed up, you know, the main point there in that for so long now the banks have been, and I, I have to admit I don't pay a lot of attention to the banks at mm. all. Um, it's not an area that I increasingly focus on. Why do you guys hate the banks so much? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. But. Uh, I'll answer that. Mine's always mine, mine's always been a philosophical. Mine's always been more of a philosophical approach. You know, our job is to try and beat the market. The banks make up such a large part of the market that how you know by investing in the banks, mm. how easy is it to beat the market of which the banks make up that meaningful part? So that that's why I, I I've you know they're good companies, obviously very profitable. In regards to the dividend question, it's interesting to see the divergence there because Mm. yeah for so long the banks have been a cornerstone in the income investors Mm -hmm. portfolio and right now that that's being challenged obviously because of this this whole wider economic situations going on in the Mm. background and we're seeing I, I, I've just recently been involved in the property market, both on the <laughs> buying and the selling side. There you go. I, I am seeing that prices are falling and things like that in, in at least Sydney. And, you know, and what does that mean? That mm. means that the situation isn't, it isn't the best environment for a bank where mm. your money is, you know, they're going to arguably see some, you know, loans defaulting as people because people are losing their jobs as tragic as that is Mm. so you would think that there would be that caution but when you have your shareholder base exactly like you said scott Mm. who are craving that income right 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 it's not surprising for me to see that someone like a commonwealth literally go right to the limit of what they're allowed to pay out because Mm -hmm. if they cut their dividend that that investor base that they built up that income cash craving investor base mm. that that will hit that will hit them hard because mm. i dare say commonwealth is a large part of their portfolio oh, really? so, absolutely yeah 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 and if they're demanding it then they're mm, technically mm, mm. the owners the bosses of the bosses of the bosses yeah it's probably not surprising that they've done so right i think that's i think that's fair motley fool money Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Well, I got you, Andrew. Let's stay with you for a second. Retail is in the news this week. Um, again, just some phenomenal numbers and some phenomenal share price movements. Um, so Domino's was out yesterday, so Wednesday. Um, same store size growth was 12.2%. Um, that's effectively one new pizza for every eight they were previously selling. That's... I, I gotta say, five years ago, uh, so I, I think I've told our listeners a story of um, we, we recommended it at six. I sold it at thirteen, thinking I was a genius and I made our members a fortune. The shares then went on to go to seventy five dollars, and so I learned a lesson from that one. Um, but at the time, I sold it because I thought, well, the shares seem, you know, fully valued ish, and how many more pizzas can Australians possibly eat? The answer to which is an absolute truckload. So <laughs> that's what's seen Domino's shares continue to go even higher. 
12.2% same-store sales, though. Fair to say, we weren't eating out at restaurants, we weren't going to the pub. She's reading some pizzas, though. Yeah, shocker. When people are forced to stay at home, they <laughs> eat pizza. Who, who, who would have thought? Well, I, I think that's true, although the Domino's share price was up meaningfully on the news. That there were some who at least were either surprised or simply didn't have enough Domino's in their portfolio until the results were out yesterday. Oh. Yeah, and this goes back to the point I was making earlier about we have to look through these results and kind of ask how much of this is permanent. Now, mm. obviously, we're in this situation where people are at home, restaurants are closed. Yep there's going to be increased demand for pizzas for, for pizzas yeah, and any yeah, other right. take. We've also seen you know, wide take up in things like Uber Eats and all of those food delivery platforms yeah, as yeah. well. It's just, it's to me, was the inevitable <laughs> impact of being stuck at home. Yeah, fair so I'm not shocked that more people are eating Domino's. Mm, the, mm. The, the numbers, the, the, the 12, 13% sales growth, that... It's actually impressive. I, I was surprised by that. I've got to say, I think I, I like you. I didn't. Ex- I expected there would be more business for Domino's um, because we'd seen that there were num- buying them for Kogan and JB Hoffa and others. We'll talk about those two in a second. There was no surprise there, but I got to say, mate, I would have given you decent odds on twelve percent, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine percent. I might have even stretched to double digits. That that's a fair result. Yeah, exactly. It was a pretty good result, and I do remember that at least some of the this is all done. I- during a time when I think even some of the European stores mm. were actually shut down. Yeah, New Zealand was closed so, as well. And New Zealand as well. I know, you know, it's a pretty diversified business and, you know, Australia, obviously, pizzas is an es- essential service. So <laughs> Exactly. And well, as well, it should be. It, sh- it should be as well. And that wasn't as much panic about pizza stores what they were about if bottle shops were going to <laughs> open well, you, or close. To be fair though, you can't stockpile pizza the same way you can stockpile grog. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the Domino's result was, I, I think it was a really impressive result. So <laughs> now going back to the topic that I've, I've hit on a number of times, mm. the question is what for next year? Yep. If we start seeing restrictions being eased over the course of the year around the world, people start going out, are we're going to see a lot of that activity reduce and fall back to more normal levels or are, are there going to be some of these people who go, hey, mm. we kind of enjoyed spending our Friday nights at home eating pizza. Let's not go to the pub. Let's not go to the local club. Let's just get a delivery. So that's the question I'm kind of weighing up now when I'm looking at mm. how impressive these results are. Mm. It'll be interesting to see how it goes over the rest of the year. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's let's keep moving because we've got so much to get through. We'll try and do our do our level best. Doc, I'm going to come back to you, mate, for a company you know a little bit about. This is WiseTech. Now, WiseTech's job was effectively, or still is, to effectively try and consolidate a very very fragmented and manual freight forwarding process globally. Right, to try and find a way to to. And look, it's a really, I've got to say, if you're looking at a market with, and you talk about total addressable market a lot, this is a hyper-fragmented market, um, paperwork all over the joint, no real coordination. WiseTech set out to pretty much try and standardize and systematize that whole process and make a few dollars on the way through. Now, it has been through the absolute ringer. Um, it, accused of, of doing dodgy things by short sellers. Last time earnings were out, our colleague Ryan Newman said to me, the shares were down 27% on earnings this week. Up 33% on earnings. So we're talking about expectations in earnings season. Man, WiseTech has been the poster child for that. Shares up 33%. Now, it's been all over the shop. The shares have been super volatile, maybe even almost more volatile than Afterpay. Um, 
what did you make of the wise tech result where's the business sitting how does it look to you yeah interesting so uh one of the things i'll point out with wise tech is part of the reason it has been uh, very volatile has been there's been some active shorting going on um so shorting as we have talked about before yep. is where people borrow the shares from the market sell them and expect to buy them at a later mm. price typically there are shortish uh, reports that are issued that of course causes the shares to be volatile so i'll put that out first the one of the things about uh, WiseTech has been that you know it's reported about twenty three percent revenue growth, mm. which is okay, not great, but you know not fantastic, <laughs> but okay. Um, a lot of revenue, you know, about close to four hundred thirty million. That's a pretty big mm. uh, number. Um, and part of the issue has been that WiseTech has been, or the claim has been, that WiseTech has been buying revenue, right? And by that, what I mean is, it's buying all these companies. With that, you get those companies' revenues. Mm. Uh, and it's using its share price to effectively acquire businesses, right? And if you have a high share price, then you can buy you know, these businesses using your shares. Which is nothing wrong with that, to be clear. So the, the short sales aren't alleging anything's wrong with that necessarily or that there's anything illegal or improper being done. Like other companies do it all the time. There's nothing just necessarily wrong about that. Yeah. But it can be a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Yeah, so, the, so there's, you know, there can be questions about valuation. There's questions about, you know, are you... Is it being integrated properly and is mm. it going to drive future revenue growth? Are you going to mm, be able mm, to mm. actually get some organic growth out of it? So on that front, I think what WiseTech basically says, the so WiseTech's platform is called CargoWise. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically what they do is they acquire these, you know, as you said, it's a fragmenting market. You acquire these things and you integrate um, the solutions that you buy into CargoWise, making mm. CargoWise stronger. Right. Now, about you know, I said four hundred thirty million. About two hundred sixty million. Uh, th- sixty million of that is mm. wise uh, cargo wise revenue. That was again up twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, really high, stunningly high margins there. Really low churn. So that part is fine. Um, with respect to acquisitions, though, what the company said is they've made um, you know five this year, and they have had fourteen mm. in the previous financial year. Uh, so when I said this year, I mean FY20 and then yeah. 15 and FY19. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, they got the benefit of those revenues and they have not fully yet, I guess, been rolled into uh, CargoWise. Right. That's about $166 million, uh, in revenue. Right. What the companies, though, interestingly said that, you know, we've made a bunch of these acquisitions and what we're going to do now is we're going to concentrate on bedding these down and integrating them, you know, and we are not in the near term, at least, focusing right. on acquiring additional companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really good. I think strategic decision when you acquire um Technology, you want to add those technologies into your core business platform. You yeah. want to keep those customers and so on. And that's number one. If you're not going to make acquisitions, then you actually really, really I mean, shareholders care about the share price, mm-hmm. but the company then the company <laughs> then doesn't need to care about the share price because right. oh, the share price could be high or low. It doesn't really matter if you're not going to use that as a currency to buy other companies. If you yeah. weren't going to use them to buy as another company, then you want the share price to be actually high, yeah. uh, relatively speaking, high and low here. I'm still yet to meet a CEO who doesn't desperately want the share price to be higher, but I take the general point that yeah. it's, just, it's less necessary for the execution of the strategy, exactly. right? Exactly. It, it is not <laughs> It is not imperative. CEOs have decent egos, as I, as I well, said too. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing... <laughs> <laughs> then the final thing that WiseTech said is that you've got plenty of cash. It's really a cashed-up yeah. business. It's had it about 
you know, $200 million plus, no debt. Uh, you know, it's probably one of the strongest balance sheets that mm-hmm. exists out there on the ASX. Um, sure, actually, yeah. Yeah, it's I've like, you know, that. not many companies would have $200 million, you know. You could yeah, think there's a blue yeah. chip company, yeah. but they would not have cash. Yeah, right. Uh, so $200 million plus, um, no debt, mm. um, if a credit facility that they can drop on. So they have a lot of cash optionality and it generates cash. It's a cash generative business. Mm-hmm. Uh, CargoWise has like a bit of margins, so operating profit margins in, you know, close to 50%. So, I think that had a role, and they gave they were strong enough to give guidance for the next year. They have also indicated, as we talked in the beginning, that they have seen green shoots in the <laughs> month of July. Green shoots. Green shoots. Well, I'm using that word. Uh, they didn't actually use that like word, it. but they but they said that you know we've seen improvement in the month of July. So there were some positives, I think, and you know again. Mm, mm, mm. As you said, Ryan has pointed out that the shares were down 28% mm-hmm. of the previous report. Now it's up 30%. So we're kind of even if you think about it. So, Full of Santa um, Fury signifying nothing, right? We, yeah. for, all, for all the volatility, all the back and forth. Yeah. We, you, you add the two last two together and we pretty nothing happened. Well, pro- probably around. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like one of those things where your stock goes down yeah. 20%. Yeah. Uh, you actually need it to go more than 20% up to actually right. get back to the same level. Right, right, right. So it's that. So maybe we're just back about even. Yeah. <laughs> You know, again, this is a company we've recommended. Motley Fool Pro, we still hold it. We right. have held through all this noise. Okay, um, hold on. And uh, we, you know, we, we still like the business. I think this is a really a strong business. Well done. Um, yeah, that's really my thoughts about WiseTech. Very, very cool. Uh, let's, let's, uh, oh, one more, one more. I'll, let's, let's take one more. Uh, A2 Milk. Now, mm. this is, we talked earlier about expectations and outlook and all that kind of stuff. And this was one of the companies I was thinking about. Did I mention it at the top? I can't remember. Um, sales and profit for A2 up 33%-ish each. I think one was higher than the other, but close enough to that number. Up by a third. So what do shares do? They fell 5%. Mm. <laughs> and you kind of think, man, what is going on? So funnily enough, actually, just quickly, to Kogan, a company I own, uh, when it released earnings, so, uh, profit, uh, shares fell 5%. I went, ah, oh. and everyone said to me, what does that mean? I tried to sort of explain what it might have meant. Next day, shares were up 10%. So you kind of go, well, you know, like trying try to work out one day's uh, share price movements aren't, it's usually not very useful. That being said, up by a third, shares down 5%. This was purely a story of expectations or was it? You know, I'm going to make an honest admission here. Um, I like that. So yesterday was completely like as as a team overall for all of us. We were completely hosed. Like, oh, mate. There were so many of them. Coming, didn't they? they just kept coming. So I, <laughs> I actually have just peeped right. into A2 Milk. In fact, you know, um, this morning my colleague uh, or our colleague, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan, he's actually looking into A2. I'm still working. In, That's good. Okay. Yeah. Just so he's sure. working on to the A2 results. <laughs> Now, uh, sometimes we just can't just manage to get. So we should have getting you and Legadon. We should go Ryan. Is that we tell them? That's pretty no, much. Right. Right. Okay. So, so I can only speculate <laughs> based on what I've seen because you know the yeah, yeah. the work that we usually do yeah. to look at these results has not been done for A2 Milk. <laughs> um, uh, and and you know like what, here's the thing with A2 Milk. I'll say yeah. I absolutely love that company. I think it's done a fantastic job of brand okay. building. The other thing I will say is that this is one of those companies that has not been impacted much mm. uh, by all that hap- all the happenings in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, its product is still selling. It still yes. has growth. It still has those opportunities that it has. It's had this, you know, it's got some machinations going on in terms of, you know, the CEO changes and stuff like that. Yeah. But 
it, it hasn't been impacted really in that mm-hmm. way. And the shares have been pretty steady, um, you know, through this pandemic. Yeah. So a little bit pullback doesn't really bother me. But yeah, I'll reserve my comments until, you know, <laughs> uh, um, uh, un- nice. until we have had a chance to actually look at them. But yeah, if somebody else has, I don't know if Andrew has looked at them uh, enough to have thoughts on it, but I don't really have anything else to add more than that. Andrew, you can't put him on the spot. What do you reckon, Andrew? Did you have a look at A2's results? No, I haven't. I I rely on the people what who... What do I pay you people for? <laughs> 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 All right. Um, we, it's not one in one of our services, but one company that is in one of our services, mate, I just I thought I'd do a quick seek to you that way. Uh, apologies for putting you on the spot, but hey, that's what I'm here for. Um, Treasury Wine Estates, mate. This is one that's been a recommendation of ours at Share Advisor. It is something I own and so far has completely sucked as a recommendation. Um, one blow after the other, it was Chinese wine glut was alleged, then it was US sales going terribly. Now the Chinese government have, I won't bother being politically correct, a politically motivated, geopolitically motivated uh, decision to put tariffs on Australian wines. Um, The Australian ministers came and said, oh, of course it's not, of course it's not, because that would mean they were responsible if it was. Um, No one really thinks that Australian winemakers are dumping Australian wines in China. The average price is higher than the rest of the world. And frankly, if anyone's dumping products, it's not going to be Grange, is it? Let's be honest. If you're dumping $700 bottles of Grange, China's got bigger problems. Um, I have no problem in calling this. I may have never be able to go to China after this, but um, I have no problem in calling it completely geopolitically motivated. They put Travis on Bali recently. Um, they have in the past uh, locked some of Treasury's wines up in quarantine. Your take? Am I being too cynical? Is that what's going on? And frankly, more importantly, what does it mean for Treasury, its shares, and its shareholders? Well, you also forgot in the list of things that haven't been going right for Treasury over the past oh, no. year, the uh, the bushfires impacting its vineyards. Oh, that's as right. Well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's not been it's the. Happening. It's not been the. <laughs> when there's everything's going wrong, man, it's hard to keep track of them all just quietly. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, and you look at that, mm. it's not like a lot of that is down to any actions from Treasury. Mm. Sometimes you're going to own a business, especially if you own it over a long period of time, where things <laughs> just go wrong. Right. And there's nothing that the business could really do to stop it. And to be fair, they did a reasonably good job of messing up the US business by themselves. Yeah, of course. I, I, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not completely blameless. They're not blameless, no, no. Although, I, you know what? So I'm going to quickly jump in because, you know, I like to do that. Um, one of my favorite sayings, things, one of the things I made up, um, which I tell you guys every now and again, is that you can only be as profitable as your least rational competitor allows you to be. And to some degree, that actually means you shouldn't be in certain industries, right? We know that commodity industries tend to suck because... You know, no, there's no there's no pricing power, right? And whoever's selling the, the iron ore or the oil or whatever cheapest is going to set the market price. To some degree, while they weren't responsible for the US, they are in a market where simply other people were just dumping, literally, literally as it turns out, in inside the US, um, dumping wine, just just getting rid of a whole lot of stuff at cheap prices. It's very very hard to keep your profit margins up. So they they are to some degree responsible for their competitive response and how they manage that. On the other hand. Whatever your competitor does, you're kind of you're kind of sucked into, right? You can't keep selling twenty dollars bottles of wine if everyone else is selling them for five. It's actually ironic that in America, Treasury is falling victim to other people dumping wines at the same time they're being investigated for <laughs> yeah, this right. phantom dumping of Grange. <laughs> it is. In I, China. I, should, I should be very clear. It's not just Grange, by the way. I don't, I don't want to. I don't give people that impression. It is it is just generally across the board in their wines? But it, it did strike me that of all the people who investigate. Treasury who are trying to move up the price scale aren't the people you'd necessarily go for if you're looking for that. Exactly. And you've seen a lot of commentary since this announcement came out. I mean, Treasury shares have fallen. Obviously, China is a big market for it and a key plank in its growth potential for the future. So any investigation in China and Mm -hmm. any potential actions that China may put on it Mm -hmm. will 
impact that company. However, when you look at it, we have to assume we, I think we're all pretty confident that Treasury and other Australian wine mm, markets mm. are not actually dumping of wine. Mm. And some commentary even out of China suggests that that appears to be a pretty... Of course. I, I, I think everyone really believes it. For all of the for all the fig leaf covering going on around the place, I think everyone's pretty clear this is a case of ScoMo having having pushed a few buttons in China. And rightly or wrongly, you can make your own decision on that one. But certainly, this is the collateral damage, right? We've also seen that China has done this in the past to European winemakers as well, and exactly, then that disappeared. Yeah. So this is... Yeah, it's a negotiating tactic. It's a negotiating tactic, and we still are positive on Treasury, I think... Mm-hmm. The key point to that is always at Motley Fool Share Advisor and the Motley Fool in general, we are long-term investors. So yeah. we are looking at a time frame far beyond what this investigation is happening. Mm-hmm. So you look at that, you look at Treasury's group of you know branded wines and the popularity and some of the ongoing trends across Asia and across the world towards wine drinking Uh and I think there's still a reason to be positive on this company I mean all of these issues that Treasury has had over the years a lot of them haven't actually been Treasury's fault and you're going to get some bad weather from time to time you're going to get bushfires in Australia Uh, China this investigation will pass Uh I'm still okay with us being positive on Treasury. Yeah, I agree. My, my biggest, it's not because I own the shares and it's a recommendation, but the biggest risk for me is that China just simply continue to hold this over multiple periods of time, over potentially years, or put some semi-permanent tariffs on Australian wines. There are things that they can do that literally do reduce the value of Treasury share price value um, over time. If all of a sudden every Treasury wine is, I don't know, 30% more expensive for Chinese consumers, you assume they're going to sell less permanently. And that does impact on the full long-term value of the stock. Whether it deserves to be down now is a different question. But short of short of kind of complete banning or, or meaningfully, you know, kind of um, usurious tariffs, it does strike me that uh, that we should expect more Chinese to drink more treasury wines in 10 years' time than they are today. That's certainly the basis of my thesis, as well as growth around the rest of the country, the rest of the world, sorry. Um, Australia's a cash cow business, and I expect Asia, particularly China, to continue to be a growth story for, for treasury. All right, Doc. Only because it's in your contract that I have to mention Apple. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. You know that. And this is certainly know that. Um, the good news is, for me, at least Apple's not a $2 trillion company, but apparently... So Andrew tells me it was at least for some small portion of the night last night. The first company, I, I'm, I joke, of course, the first company hit $2 trillion in market cap. That is a phenomenal number. I want to correct that a little okay. bit. The first US listed company ah, to hit $2 trillion. Actually, Saudi Amarco, which is the uh, the owner of um, yes. the oil yes. in Saudi Arabia, yes. uh, was a true trillion dollar company. I don't know what it is now when it first listed. Um, yeah, so this is the first uh, American company um, or the non-Saudi company yeah. to uh, become a two trillion dollar company. Right, right. Yeah, fantastic company. You should have owned shares. <laughs> That's all I can say. I own shares. You should have owned shares too. Do you have any thoughtful to add or is that it? You just want to gloat. It's a great company. <laughs> Fantastic company. Best company on the planet. <laughs> what, you know, so look, and this is the this is the thing. It's part of it, well, a lot of it is absolutely PE expansion, right? It was a PE of 15 or 18, now it's PE of 30-ish. Um, so part of it is people 
either realizing that it, they paid too little or decided now to pay more than they used to. They're kind of the same thing. But in one case, the question whether it's under or overvalued is one for history. We'll know in five years' time whether today's price was cheap or expensive. Moreover, though, this is not a company that's stupidly priced. This is not a, a tech kind of you know startup that's got a, a price to sales of a million and, and you know PE of infinity because it's got no earnings. This is genuinely a business that has just continued to just soak up dollars and dollars and dollars and dollars of sales and profit um you know yes there is absolutely PE expansion in, in the most recent success and, and good luck to them they, they deserve it but you know as i said this is not this is not speculative dot-com pricing of some fly-by-night company that people are expecting will take over the world apple is just pac-manning up the world yeah like you're so right i mean it's it's probably on a in your 30 something 32 33 right. um pe trailing it's probably on a forward p of 28 that's very reasonably priced for okay. a quality business the thing uh, you know i've said this before one of the ways to buy uh stocks in blue chip companies great blue chip companies to buy them when they're down right yeah, yeah. and and as you said for the longest time apple was priced as if it's just a hardware maker you know, what about the brand? What are the people that are lining up day and night outside the stores to actually buy these phones? Mm-hmm. What are the stickiness of the platform? Um, you know, again, it, it's, it is it is what it is, but you know, yeah. it's one of the greatest brands that we have seen. It, the ability to create and leverage that brand to create other products is unparalleled. Mm. The ability to create, there are not that many companies out there today mm. which could say that I could spin out iPad and have a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, right. That exactly. I could spin out Mac yeah. and have a Fortune 500 company, yeah. and that I could spin out uh, Apple Watch and the wearable side mm. and have a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. That is just phenomenal. I mean, of course, they wouldn't be without Apple. That's that's kind of part of the value creation. Is the yeah. is that ecosystem right? That's that's part of the impressiveness of it. They've created. Kind of, not even subsidiaries, but the business lines within yep. the, the the main business through just the sheer power of the brand, the ecosystem, the tech, the whatever, to create new businesses that are just phenomenally large and successful. You know, kind of business units really within within the bigger Apple. Yeah, and you know, there are two people here today who own shares. I believe Andrew owns shares. Uh, oh, one person who does not own shares and. Uh, should have owned shares, but that's I really all I can say. editing this stuff out. Let's move on to something much more useful. Now, congratulations to Apple for hitting $2 trillion. Thoroughly deserved. Done a spectacularly good job. Um, I under underappreciated the value or the, the dollar value of the brand and what it could able what was able to do with pricing, with margins, all that kind of stuff. Certainly, I missed the boat on that one. I'm still kicking myself. Probably the biggest mistake I've made was not by Apple ages ago when it was cheap enough. And even in hindsight, I still don't know why I didn't do it at the time, but there you go. All right, let's move on to something much more interesting and exciting, uplifting, positive, successful, important, uh, useful. Uh, the company I own shares in, um, neither of you blokes do, but you know, if you don't support the best investor in the world, knock yourselves out. Um, Warren Buffett is in the news this week, or at least he's, well, he is by, by extension because, hey, that's what gets the clicks. Berkshire Hathaway, though, buying shares in a gold miner. Now, Buffett is famous. He's even written op-eds about the fact that gold is a ridiculous asset to try and own and it's stoked the ire of, of a fire of gold bugs for, for ages. We got a question during the week from Greg. Question for the full podcast. Hi, Scott and Doc Meister. I like that. Doc Meister. I love that. Doc That's Ma- great. Doc Meister. I'm right. a master. Wow. Hi, Scott and Doc Meister. Warren Buffett has famously run down gold investment on a number of occasions. Too many to count. True. He then says, I recently read with amusement Berkshire Hathaway has loaded up on half a billion dollars worth of Barrick Gold stock whilst dumping its entire Goldman Sachs position, two-thirds of JP Morgan, Chase, and a quarter of his Wells Fargo position. What on earth is going on? Is Warren finally having a bet on the anti-US dollar? 
gold, please discuss full on. So we'll finish this particular episode with a discussion of Greg's question. We like to finish with a, with a mailbag question where we get the opportunity to, and it's a nice way to tie this together. Buffett buying gold. As Greg says, what's going on? Okay, so I'm going to say a couple of things first. First first thing I'll say is, you know, a half a billion dollar position for most people, most funds, is a huge position <laughs> right. for Berkshire it's Hathaway. It's some, some entire funds, right? Yeah, for, 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 <laughs> well, for it's more than some funds. Yeah, that's uh, right. But for Buffett, that sounds to me like peanuts. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> that kind of is. Like, yeah, that kind of is. So... That to me is a non-news because yeah, it could yeah. be one of his, uh, you know, uh, one of his deputies that yeah. they have bought gold. Almost certainly is is my understanding, but yeah. Yeah, but I'm speculating. So yeah, unless yeah. I have confirmation of, uh, of it being yep. a Buffett buy, I'm not going to speculate on that. <laughs> um, I'm almost certain the bank say, uh, sales are Buffett's mm. uh, because those are positions yes, that he, right. uh, Berkshire Hathaway has. Yep. I don't know what to make of them. Um I guess my, if I had to take a wide guess, it's mm. the belief that interest rates going to stay low mm-hmm. for long. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to stay low for long, one reason to own banks in the past would have been the interest rates are going to rise and int- rising yeah, interest right, rates okay. is good for the net interest margin that mm-hmm. the banks make. Mm-hmm. Um, a low interest rate environment basically kills banks' margins. Yeah, right. And that could be the thesis at play saying that, well, you know, it, it's going to now take maybe another five years for interest rates to rise. And therefore, mm. uh, let's reduce the position and invest somewhere else. Mm. Where, is he, where else is he investing? I have no idea. That would be my guess on the banks. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if Andrew has anything to add on that, but that's really what I think. Let's find out. Mr. Leggett, do you have any thoughts on Buffett finally caving in to the common sense of the gold bugs and loading up on Barrick Gold shares? No, not really. I, I've actually been amused at the social media reaction to it, to be honest <laughs> with you. Obviously, gold bugs are a, a passionate lot. And so this would no doubt be music to their ears that <laughs> Berkshire Hathaway Finally. is buying a gold miner. Mate, all you do is have Uncle Warren buy some Bitcoin and, and they can complete the circle. Oh, I, I would actually love to see that. See, <laughs> I, I want... I want Warren just to buy one. <laughs> you know, just to say that he did, just to see... I'll tell you, know, if you knew in advance, you'd buy some because I'd probably double the price, I'd uh, guess. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, there's... I don't know who... I assume it was one of his deputies that, <laughs> yep. that purchased it. Yep. I don't know the exact idea behind it. I do know that owning gold and owning a gold company are two different things. Mm-hmm. You know, right, so that's the first important thing. He's not buying gold and even just from the gold price. He's buying a gold miner. That being said, the biggest swing factor in any gold miner's profitability is the gold price. So of course. even if they're not directly taking a bet on the gold price, they're kind of you know exposed to it. Yeah, no, definitely. And like I said, I I don't know I don't know the reason. I'm mm. you know whether it was Todd or Ted. Uh, for some reason, I used to think they were both called Todd, and I called them the two Todds. <laughs> so sorry, Ted. <laughs> I think Ted's okay. I think, yeah, I don't think Ted's I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's doing well. I'm sure he's not losing too much sleep over that. I don't think so. But it's kind of you to say so. Warren did increase his stake in Bank of America, didn't he? He did. He's he been not? buying some Bank of so America. So it's yep. interesting yep. what Anibal was saying about his movements. Because in one side, he's selling out yeah. in a lot of the, we'll say more of the merchant investment banking. Yes. Yep. And topping up in Bank of America, although you know they've got a pretty big bank in themselves and have elements of that as well. So, And to be fair, Wells is a retail bank, so there is a bit of both in the selling, you're right. 
yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, I've what we as every investor does, we watch Warren <laughs> yeah. and we listen to what he's what he has to say. Yeah. I've been confused by some of his comments that he's made in the mm, recent mm, past. Mm. I'm surprised that he didn't find anything to buy any in any great detail during the recent crash. Mm. Uh, obviously, he's still a great investor and I'm not foolish enough to yeah, bet against right. him. Exactly. But I, I find his moves interesting and mm. I, I, I don't... Intriguing. Intriguing is a better way to say it, <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Look, I think you made the point very clearly. You know, gold miners aren't gold, so that's the first thing. Secondly, we it's almost it's almost inevitable that's one of his lieutenants making the decision, Todd Combs or Ted Weschler. Uh, not not Todd Weschler, that's a different guy. Uh, that, that's that's certainly the uh, that's certainly the, the very likely story. It does, I mean, I've got to say, for all of that, someone at Berkshire is taking a bet on the gold price, even if by extension, by derivation, right? They, they are, if the gold price falls, Barrick will make less money. The share price will probably fall, I would assume. So just, you kind of you can't escape the reality that Berkshire does well in that position only if the gold price stays high or goes higher. You have to believe, unless it's something I don't understand about the, the investment case, and I plenty I don't understand about a lot of things, that the uh, the, the very idea of, of buying a gold mine, you have to, you've either got a view or you're kind of just implicitly having a view on where the gold price would go. I, I mean, I, my, my general rule is if whenever I disagree with Warren Buffett, I'm obviously wrong. That, that tends to be my, my starting point because, um, frankly, if you're questioning the best investor ever, you probably you probably need to just, have, just be a little bit cautious, maybe put a bit of hubris back in the back pocket. But um, I got to say, I, I was only on, I was on Ausbiz, the new online streaming channel, only two weeks ago and saying, hey, if you bought, I think it was Northern Star I was asked about, if you own gold mine, if you've done really, really well, congratulations, the price is up. But you know what? These things tend to be kind of cyclical. If I was a betting man, I'd say the gold price goes down over time rather than up from here. So I, I saw my Northern Star is what I said. And then, of course, Warren Buffett comes out, or at least Berkshire does, and says, hey, we bought some, <laughs> some Barrick gold just to make me look silly. So I don't know what to make of that one. Yeah, I think you should take that up with Warren. <laughs> well, I'll get him on the phone. Next time he calls for advice, I'll ask him while I'm talking Yeah, to exactly. Him. I mean, you yeah, two regularly yeah. hang oh, out yeah, and talk, yeah. don't you? All the time, all the time. Now, speaking of well, – while we're speaking to you, Andrew, and while we're speaking of Warren Buffett, I want – Look, I've talked to our listeners before about the service that we run, Motley Fool Share Advisor. I've asked them to join because, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job and the results are pretty good and the price is pretty cheap. But this time, fools, do Andrew a favour. Don't just do me a favour. Do Andrew a favour. He's come all the way, especially for the podcast, and you wouldn't want to give him nothing. I mean, you can't give him any money for this because it's free. There's, there's something you can do to it. It's for Andrew, just for Andrew. And that's join Motley Fool Share Advisor. Now, I have to say, I think you'll also do reasonably well for yourself. I am very, very proud of our track record thus far. As we always say, past performance is absolutely no guarantee. But right now, we're meaningfully ahead of the market on average. Despite our losers, we're trying to pick the best companies we can find on the ASX. In the kind of mid to large cap area, generally some growth stocks. So we do occasionally dabble in some value stuff and have a bit of fun with that. So help Andrew out. Do the right thing. Look after good old Andrew. I don't want to put too fine a point on it, Fools, but if you don't join up, Andrew may not have a job anymore. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. Sorry, Andrew. Uh, so, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't want Andrew to have a job, then don't join. If you do, though, care about Andrew, and, and why wouldn't you care about poor Andrew? Tough times, tough economic times. Don't, don't put his job at risk. Join us at Motley Fool Share Advisor. Go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. And I said, even if you don't care about Andrew, you care about yourselves because the results thus far have been pretty good and we're doing our absolute best to make sure you can continue to get great results from Motley Fool Share Advisor. That's fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. I reckon we're done, guys. Before we do go, though, a couple of quick links to share with you because you've heard about our socials, but you probably don't know Andrew's. So if you want to follow us 
on any of the socials. I'll start with the other ones. We'll get to Andrew last. I'll, I'll keep the best for last. Join us on Instagram at the Motley Fool AU or at TMF Scott P. Doc is not yet on Instagram. We'll talk about that next episode. Andrew, are you on Instagram? Not yet, no. Dear, oh dear. All right. Or you can join us on Facebook. The Motley Fool Australia is our Facebook account for the company and I'm at Scott Phillips Money. Do you have a professional Facebook page, Andrew? Again, no, I'm, I'm not on Facebook a lot. Dear, sorry, dear. sorry, Mark. <laughs> you should be sorry. Why do you and Doc hate... No, let's go there. We've got, to, we've got to wrap this up. It'll take another 15 minutes if I ask that question. And of course, if you want to get to all of us, the one place you can find the entire, all three of us, plus The Motley Fool is on the Twitters. So the Twitter handles you're looking for are at The Motley Fool AU, at Anirban Mahanti, at TMF Scott P, or Andrew, what's yours? I am Andrew Leggett and I do try my hardest to tweet interesting things, but I'm not sure if I succeed all the time there we go at andrew leggett that's two g's and one t andrew leggett l-e-g-g-e-t so jump on twitter give him a follow he's a nice bloke he tweets some interesting stuff a lot of investing related stuff he doesn't you don't rant as much as i do mate you're much more much more concentrated and refined than i am i I leave the rants in my drafts (laughs) good see i haven't got that discipline i need need to tell the world it's so much more cathartic can i tell you i feel much better for ranting anyway have a have a jump on twitter and of course that's where you can get us not only to follow us and see what we've got to say but to interact with us as well if you have any questions for our mailbag that oh those all other places to ask them whether you're on facebook whether you're on instagram whether you're on twitter or if you need to you can email us at info at fool.com.au and you can have your question considered and almost certainly answered on an upcoming podcast speaking of which Andrew, can I make you hang around all Sunday? Yeah, of course. I've got nowhere else to be. <laughs> you, you keep me that's locked a, up a, here. <laughs> that's right. Back in the cupboard. We'll get you out on Sunday. Doc, what do you reckon? You going to come back on Sunday as well? I'm going to fly in for a Sunday podcast. <laughs> fly for it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to borrow a Qantas plane. Mate, just quietly. There's not enough room to land on this mountain. You're going to have, you're going to have all sorts of trouble. Maybe get a, a Qantas chopper instead. I'll just take the A380. <laughs> I don't like your chance of landing it. If you can see the, the hill we're on here. Qantas can just build me an um, uh, air an or something. And, and they've got pilots. Mate, right now, if they thought they'd get a dollar out of you, they might just do that just quietly. Tap tap, tap the markets, get some money and uh, do that. Oh, I'm gonna th- then the bill they'll send to you. <laughs> now, we are going to be back on Sunday. But in the meantime, don't forget you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley for Money podcast through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app, or of course, Podcast One. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review. Leave us some stars. Five would be much appreciated because it's how other people find out about us. Plus, it makes us feel better. It makes Doc feel better. It makes me feel better. It even makes Andrew feel better. So, you know, do it for Andrew. Do it for Doc. If you won't do it for those guys, do it to keep me in a job. That'd be nice. All right. Don't forget you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox and an offer to join one of our services by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on Sunday. Special on Sunday with another dose of foolish insight. Full on. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.